Good morning. Let me read now the two lessons for this morning. One comes from Hebrews and one comes from 2 Corinthians. These are our texts for the day. How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. I love this line. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from death. But others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half. And others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Yet none of them received all that God had promised. What What a passage! What a passage! Now, I I connect this passage to the passage just read because the individuals that we read about and described, their faith gave them an inner power. They had a strength to face adversity. They were ordinary people like you and me who did remarkable things in their life because they had something inside of them. And here Paul addresses what that is. He says in 2 Corinthians verse 5, he says, You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. Let's make no mistake about it. That's our message. Our message to the world is Jesus, and that we're here to serve him and to bring that message to you. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We could spend a month right there, couldn't we? The glory of God seen in the face of Jesus. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. Hear what he's saying? We're human beings, we're flawed, we're broken. But God has chosen us to be the bearers of this light. He has put it in our hearts. And he says, this makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus. 
so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. What a word for this morning. This is the reading of the Word of God and God's people did say. What you heard in those two passages, essentially, is what I call the heart of the gospel. That there is a power that's available to you and to me and to all of us that enables us not only to endure the worst that life can bring, but also the ability to thrive and to share good news with other people. There are no perfect people on this earth. There are just people who have opened themselves to the life and the presence of God to let him work in them and through them. That's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about the mo- this morning about why we're here, what this church is all about, and, and the message that we have to share. You see, we have something to offer the world that people can't get anywhere else. Now, I'm not just saying our church because we're only Christians. We're not the only Christians. We belong to a great and beautiful church that extends all over the world and through the ages. And we have a message to share, and it is the message of Jesus. And I want to talk about what that message is this morning, because I want everyone to leave here this morning to know what it is that you have to offer someone who may have a wound that does, that does not heal. This message this morning comes from a, an experience I had this past week. This past week, a family asked me to write a eulogy and to perform a eulogy for Al Scarpellini. Al Scarpellini has been a member of the Douglas Hills community for, for many, many years. Lives right over here, away from the church. He was an active public servant. After he retired from the Housing and Urban Development Department, he became a volunteer fireman and eventually became a fire instructor. An amazing person who gave his life away again and again. At the age of 69, just about a week or so ago, Al had an aneurysm and died suddenly and died unexpectedly, leaving behind his wife and his son, Jason. The reason I was asked to perform the funeral for Mr. Scarpellini is because 15 years earlier, 15 years ago, their son, their son was murdered. And I was asked to perform the eulogy for their son, Zachary. Zachary and I developed a friendship with one another because when I moved here, I didn't own a lawn more, and Zachary owned a lawn equipment business, and he lived around the corner from our house. So this uh, wonderful young man uh, began to mow our grass, and I came to be an admirer of his. Today, he'd be about the same age as my daughter. And I remember when my wife moved here, I told her, I said, you need to meet Zach. He's bright, he's intelligent, he's hardworking, he's going to Bellarmine, he's 20. We should introduce him to our daughter. He'd be a great match for our daughter. Everybody should have a son-in-law like Zach Scarpellini. I remember one time he came to get me and told me about a story about one of my neighbors. He was working in our yard when a neighbor down the street collapsed and fell in his yard, an older man. Zach went down and helped him up and helped him into his house. And I was so touched by the tenderness in which he showed the older man and later went back to see this older man who had fallen. And he was a very compassionate, wonderful, bright young man. So I was shocked one morning. It was a Sunday morning. I was here. I was downstairs in the kitchen. I can still remember it when I received a phone call that morning to tell me that he had been killed. He had been killed and tragically he had been murdered. And because I had a relationship with him, would I be willing to conduct his eulogy? What do you say to a family? What do you say to a community to a mother and to a father who has lost a son. 
Well, over the last uh, 15 years, I've known, I knew about Al, I knew about his pain and suffering. I'll never forget that day because Al and Denise's suffering was so very visible. And that day when Al lost his son, his light went out in his eyes. And it was never turned back on. Because when you lose a child, I mean, that's probably one of the hardest things to endure in life. Ask any parent, or a great fear a parent has that when we might lose a child. When a person loses a child... Uh, you never get over it. You just somehow or another learn to live with it. It's true of anything in life. There are some things in life that just hit you so hard that you don't get over it. You learn to live with it and to go through it. And the amazing story of Al Scarpellini's life 15 years later is that even though the light went out in his heart for the loss of his son and he had a wound that would not heal, he got up every day and went to work. We have no idea what courage it took for that man to get out of bed, to get up and to go to work. He got up, he gave his life away, he poured his life into other people. He did not let despair destroy him. He did not let his life end before his life officially ended. You see, I meet all people all the time who are dead people, but they're still alive. Dead people who are going through the motions, dead people who get up and walk through life with no purpose in life, who have just had their life in for one reason or another, disappointment, discouragement, divorce, whatever. But then there are men like Al Scarpellini or like our own Margaret Thornton or like our own Jack and Nancy Case who've lost children. Margaret Thornton gets up and she starts a school called Summit Academy that's blessing kids. Or Al Scarpellini who lives with courage and educates firefighters. More than 70,000 people visited his Facebook post about the end of Al's life, talking about what he taught them and what a contribution he had made to their life. Why am I talking about this morning? Because I want to tell you that there is a strength inside of some people. There's a steel that people find in their spine that doesn't come from within themselves. It comes from beyond them. This transcendent power that belongs to God that can give us the ability to live through what we're going through, but not just to go through it, but to give it away and to share it with other people. This treasure that lives inside of broke and cracked vessels. You see, whenever I stand in a room filled with people dealing with death and suffering, I always want to bring my best. It doesn't matter if I've ever met the person or ever known the person or not. I know that in the room are people who need three things. They need to celebrate the life of the person that lived because every person that lives in this world is a gift from God. I know that they need comfort. But finally, I know it's an opportunity to share what we have to offer that no one else can offer. And that's the love of Jesus and the power to live life and to change and not to be destroyed by death. That's what those two passages of scriptures are all about. Because in that scripture, it's talking about faith. In Hebrews 11, the author says that faith is the thing that gives us a handle on life when we can't handle it. That's my own translation, by the way. You won't find it in the text, but that's the way I understand it, to mean that when you go through life and you don't know what the outcome is going to be, you're uncertain of your future, you've been knocked down to your knees by tragedy, suffering, and loss, faith in something stronger and better than you that's beyond us, that believes in us, that never doubts in us, even though we sometimes doubt in ourselves, is available to us and give us a handle on what we can't handle. 
And he goes on and he says, by faith, by faith, he describes all these great people who had this capacity to live and serve. And that's then when Paul talks about this treasure. How about how we're all broken, cracked vessels. We may dress nice, we may put on makeup, we may look good, we may talk good, but we're all cracked. We're all broken. And how God has not chosen perfect people to be the vessel that holds his power, but he's chosen cracked people because people that don't know they're cracked can't get filled. Because the only way we get filled is through the cracks and through the holes in our lives to show that the power belongs to God and not to us. I'm preaching this morning, George. I'm going to start preaching. You see, that's why Paul talks about it in another place. He says that we can rejoice no matter what. I call Philippians the no matter what gospel. No matter what happens in life, if we rejoice, we can rejoice in him because he gives us a peace that defies understanding. You see, real Christian faith does not give us immunity from suffering, but it gives us the inner strength to live all the way to the end of our lives. That's why I preach. That's why I get up in the morning. That's why I do funerals. And that's why I ask you for everyone to bring one. Now, let me be really clear about something. I've been saying since the beginning of this year that I want our church to grow. Let me talk about why I want it to grow. Because if you don't hear me right, you're just going to hear that as we just want our church to be bigger. We just want to fill the pews. You know, so we can compete with the big steeple down the street, by the way, which is not possible. They've got multiple locations. <laughs> we can't compete. We have good coffee downstairs, but they've got a coffee shop. We've got a few donuts, but they've got bagels. <laughs> so I want to talk about why, about our worthy cause. You see, Teddy Roosevelt uh, wrote this great statement uh, he said, it's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how st strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. Uh, critics don't count, he says. The credit belongs to the person who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood and who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there's no effort without error and without shortcoming but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause. He's saying, the great person is the person who gives himself something that's worthy to live for. I, I love this quote. Who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring. If you're going to fail, fail by daring greatly. So that this place shall never be so this place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat who play it safe. Great quote. But let me point out to you something. you got to know what your worthy cause is. you got to know what it is. You see, you, not every cause is a worthy cause. Just filling up our church building is not a worthy cause. It's not deep enough. It's superficial. I'm talking about the reason we do what we do. And you see, the problem with Teddy Roosevelt was he made this great quote, but he in some ways lived the life of an unexamined fool. I'm putting down a president. I am right at this moment. It's okay. He's not president now. But listen, you know what he did after he became president? He went to Africa 
and killed thousands of exotic animals. Not a worthy cause. He went and floated down the, the Amazon River and nearly died while doing it. He had a driven ambition without a worthy cause. And then, then in, when he was 59 years old, he begged Woodrow Wilson to allow him to lead a team, to, to enlist in the army, and to lead a team to put an end to World War I. An unexamined life. My point is, if you're going to dare greatly, dare greatly for the right things. Just filling up our building with people isn't the right thing. But knowing what you have and what you have to offer that nobody else has, knowing that you have the answer, the answer in Jesus, that you have a presence in Jesus, that you have a power in Jesus, that we have something to offer that nobody can get any, that is worth filling up our building a hundred times. Because ultimately it's the power that will change and transform the world. See, i got three questions for you. They're on your program, God. Question one is, what is it about our church that no one else knows that you think should know in our community? I'm not talking about our buildings or our programs, but I'm talking about our heart. What is it about our heart of our church? The second question I would ask is, what does it do for you to be here every week? Why, why do you come? And I'm not talking about because you have friends. I'm not talking about because it's just a part of your tradition. How are you changing because you're here? The third question is, what is it that we have that no one else can offer? Okay? When you're able to answer those three questions, you know how to invite someone. Hey, this is what our church is about. This is what I've received from it. Won't you come? And this is what counts. I'm concerned that sometimes we dance around the edge of superficiality and programs and, and, and we don't necessarily are able to give voice to what the heart of the gospel is itself. Again, as I say, if we're trying to compete with the world, we'll never be able to compete. You can come here on a Sunday morning and get grape juice, but you can go down the street and get Maker's Mark anytime you want. A friend of mine, Jeff Howell, I was talking to Jeff when I was in Texas recently, and I said, man, you know what, Jeff? I said, it's so impressive. I said, on Christmas at Christmas, we had a Christmas concert where it knocked your socks off. We had 120 adults and children and youth in the choir. We had a full orchestra. And he says, that's impressive. But the church I go to, we got a full orchestra and 120 people in the choir every Sunday. And I went, okay, thanks a lot. <laughs> and again, back to the coffee. I said, well, we got coffee fellowship now downstairs, and we make donuts every week. He says, well, the place I go, they have Starbucks in the lobby. They have a bookstore, and they have thousands of Krispy Kremes to give away every week. We can't compete. But we don't have to compete because we have the greatest gift to offer the world. It doesn't matter what building you're in. It doesn't matter what you look like. If you offer what people want, people are going to want it. And we don't want to give it because we need anything. We just want to give it because we have it. When you have it, you want to give it. You want to share it because you have the strength that you want other people to have. Let me get at it. Let me, get, let me nail it by telling you exactly what it is. By telling you what it is not. I hear people all the time say this. They say, everything happens for a reason. You ever hear that? Well, everything happens for a reason. There are no coincidences. Well, okay, I'm not trying to put you down if you believe that. But most people who say that, well, 
let me just say, it doesn't make sense if you've been diagnosed with stage 4 colon cancer. It doesn't make sense if you had a child murdered for no reason. There's no reason for that. There are a lot of things in life for which there are no reason for it to occur. And to say that everything happens for a reason is to turn God into an ogre who picks and chooses who he's going to condemn and hurt. Instead of blaming the problems in our world on sin, self-interest, and human behavior, we're letting ourselves off the hook and, and placing the blame on God instead of ex- blaming ourselves. You see, we're so quick to want to and give answers to people when people aren't looking for answers. Al Scarpellini wasn't looking for an answer. You see, the gift we have from God isn't an answer. We have something better than an answer. God's gift to us is not an answer. It's a presence. It's an inner strength and presence. You see, God became a human being. The miracle of the birth of Jesus is that God, infinite and beyond us and indescribable, became a human being and walked this earth. And we know that this God cares about us because every time we look at that cross on a Sunday morning, what do we see? We are reminded of a man naked, beaten, bleeding, bruised, and dying, and who's left all alone and abandoned and who is forsaken. How do we know that God loves us? Because God came and entered completely into our pain to rescue us from the pain of this world. God gave us his presence. Friends, I love to say that because it is the gospel. The gospel is not a building. It's not a product. It is Jesus himself in the world, alive and risen from the dead. That's our message. The second thing I hear people say is God helps those who help themselves. You ever hear that? That's not in the Bible, and it's not the gospel either. Because if God helps those who helps themselves, every person in this room is going straight to hell when you die. Because ain't none of you going to be able to fix your situation on your own. Because if you can help yourself before God helps you, why did Jesus die on the cross for your sins? Why did Paul say, what a wretched man that I am. I want to do the right thing, but I can't do it. Why would Paul say that? Why would Paul say, who's going to deliver me from this body of death and suffering Jesus Christ, that's who. He found out he couldn't do it on his own. He was the most righteous man that ever lived on the face of the earth, perhaps. You see, God doesn't help those who help themselves. God helps those who can't help themselves. I'm one of them. That's a foolish thing to say. Here's another statement. I call it baloney, theological baloney. God will never give us more than we can handle. Somebody that says that's never lost a son, daughter. It's not true. That's not true at all. What happens is that when we realize that we can't handle it, God gives us himself so that we can handle it or deal with it. First of all, God doesn't give us things like that. It's not God doesn't do it. God doesn't give people cancer. It's not God's will that somebody died in a car wreck. We just say those things because we don't know what else to say. The best thing is to keep your mouth shut and not say anything and just do what Jesus did, be a presence to love people. You see, the reality is that Jesus Christ died for us so that he could help us handle life that we can't handle. And so the point, the point that the gospel becomes the gospel is when we say, okay, I don't need answers, I need you. Okay, I can't help myself. Okay, I can't handle this. Will you help me? I need you. 
The point at which Jesus becomes real to us is the point when we recognize and acknowledge our naked need. And you know how you know when you got it? It's when people look at you and they, they see it in you. They see a beaten up, battered, bruised. They look at you and say, my God, how did he get through all that? He must have something that I need. They, they look at you and they see that you have grace under pressure. They look at you and see that the peace you have inside doesn't make sense in light of what you've been through. They look at you and, and you become a person who's very merciful toward others. Let me tell you, when you have grace and you've met Jesus in this way, you'll have a great deal of humility in how you treat people who have fallen down. Because if you fall down and you get hurt, man, it makes you a lot more sensitive to people who, who have fallen down and been hurt. It makes, you know, it makes you merciful and kind and humble. How do you know when you have it? You know when you have it, when they can see it. You know when you have it, when you have grace under pressure, when you're able to handle, you're able to walk through life with grace and peace that defies it. You know you have it when, it's, when you have mercy for others. But finally, you know you have it when you want to share it. When you had it, you want to share it. You know, if you've had something really good, you want to share it. Our mission as a church is the same as it's been for the last 15 years. To live out the love of Jesus by embracing people where they are. Two challenges for Lent. Make a commitment for yourself to open yourself up to him. Be here more regularly. Find a place to serve. Get in a group. The second is invite someone. You never know when the invitation might just change someone's life. Here's the beautiful thing about God. is that sin does not distance us from God, repel God from us. It attracts God to us. Because he does not count our sins against us. Now I realize that our sin does put us, does distance us, but it doesn't distance God from us. Because all we have to do is cry out to him and ask him for help. And the Bible teaches us that God does not count our sins against us. So here's the gospel with fireworks and a great finish. You want to hear it? Okay, look at this text. This is, a, this is like the best Bible verse ever written this week. Okay, 2 Corinthians. So because of everything we we stopped looking at people from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. What is he saying? When you've had the stuff and knocked out of you, and you realize how much you need him and you can't save yourself, you don't look at him like you used to. You look at him differently, Right? That means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, the new has come. It's, it's all about forgiveness, mercy. That's what we offer. That's the gift. That's the gospel. God doesn't give up on us because of who we are. God loves us because of who God is. And all of this, all of this is a gift. It's not earned. God doesn't help those who help themselves. It's a gift. From God, who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. 
no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. That's the why. That's why we invite. That's why we share. That's why we tell. That's why we want the church to grow. And to quote, in the end, country and western theology, to quote Rascal Flats, it's yours, it's yours if you want it. 